Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Patty G Show. I am your host, Patty G, here with Steve St. Cyr. We're going to be talking Vivid Inks. We're going to be talking dining room tables and when is the right time to move them out and place them with your business. We're also going to talk about expanding, growing, and just all around getting out as an entrepreneur and doing what you love. But before we get started, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Alvarez Construction and Triton Stone Group. They have been on board and we're loving them. And without further ado, Steve, welcome. Well, thank you, Patty. Appreciate it. And enjoyed, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you on. I'm glad we're able to nail this down and get you out here to Uncle Earl's and sitting and talking all things Vividing Graphics. Well, thanks. I see you've gotten some recent press within the business report about the things you're doing and just crushing it out there. <laughs> so I'm eager to learn your story. Okay. What do you want to know? Well, who are you? What do you do? Well, Steve Saints here. I'm the fifth of 12 kids. And so I come from a very large family and we produce uh, graphics. We make just about anything. If you walk into any kind of restaurant, bank, business, look around, everything you see and ignore, that's pretty much what we probably made. <laughs> so everything from, from signs from to posters, to banners. signs, to the wall graphics, to the floor graphics that say stay six feet apart, to the label that says I got, ox I got vaccinated, to the painting up there that says Uncle Earl's. Actually, we didn't make that one, but we should have. But uh, <laughs> to anything like that, to the, to the LED, LED sign behind us, you name it, to the menu that they're going to hand you, I print it, make it, produce it. Everything we do, somebody touches, somebody sees. It's a physical gotcha. thing. Very physical, tangible products. Tangible products, yes. Nothing digital, I guess. No, not really in there. Tried it once, learned we couldn't make money at it, stopped it within a month. <laughs> really? <laughs> Pretty much. We once started, uh, tried it to do the, uh, we do a lot of menus, big mm -hmm. menus behind the screens. Right. And we saw the world was going digital and we said, hey, we should get ahead of that. And then we realized, well, we can't make money at doing that. So we killed it. <laughs> So was this pre-COVID or oh, during? Oh, this is years ago. This is 10 years ago. So would it be worth it revisiting now that with COVID, I mean, everything is all contactless, digital. Like when you go to a restaurant now, they've got like an LED wall like behind us with their menu on it. No, not for us. We understand now that the web designers are the best guys to produce that. We're physical printers and that we're, that's a market that we're, we're never going to win. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, you got to be able to know when you know to yeah. not go in. Yeah. So how did you, how did you get here? How did you get to this, this space? Wow. That's a long story. Um, I got time. <laughs> okay. Well, long time ago, uh, I first got to start understanding that I'm the fifth of 12 and I had to pay for my own college. So I took an ROTC scholarship, but I, I didn't want to go in the army full time. So I got a guaranteed reserve scholarship, which meant I had, six months, six years in the reserves after I graduated. Well, um, long before some of these young folks were, were born, they came up with a Gulf War, Operation Desert Storm, and my unit, one of the first ones, got sent over there. And I went over to Saudi for a year okay. at, from the reserve. So I was, uh, came back, told my wife I was gonna start my own business. She had um, three, three rules. She didn't wanna sell her friends. No. Amway, network marketing, nothing <laughs> to walk in a room and people leave because they're afraid you sell. She didn't want to move and she didn't want a soul killer, meaning she didn't want a bar or a restaurant or something that kept me out all night. Right. She wanted something with normal hours. So I looked around, didn't know anything about anything except I had to figure out something to met those wife, my wife's criteria. And I opened a sign shop, Open Superior Signs, which was the predecessor to Vivid Inc., and um, within two years, we were the largest non-electric sign shop. Wow. And then uh, we, and uh, the honest truth was, we, in the first six months, we made crappy signs. But then we got much, much better. But we knew people, we understood, and we grew like wildfire. And then uh, sold it, started a software company, sold it. Then <laughs> I decided, you know, I really like the signs printing bit and started the digital printing business. That was 21 years ago. And I started Vivid Inc. December 99 of, and then uh, the rest is pretty much history. Wow. So three, it took three businesses to get to Vivid Inc. Yes. Okay. Three. Actually, it took probably in between. I had a lawn, a hair salon, laundromat. So we'll call it five. Five businesses. <laughs> yeah, I sold them all. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's start with, with, with the first one. What Superior was, Signs. Superior Signs. Yeah. What was getting that 
started. I mean, the concept for it, you come back from the military and it's like the first thing you think well, of is signs. I, well, I like to say I had this great, like great vision or whatever, but it really just met my wife criteria. <laughs> it was during the day. It was business people. So you didn't have to worry about it. And so it met my wife's criteria. And I just thought up to that time about I had worked for other different people and I got bored about every two years and okay. I thought I could really do it better. So I didn't really have a better idea. I just thought I could run businesses better. And so we started Superior Signs and because uh, it was a superior product, superior product. <laughs> and we did very, very, very well with it. And I mean, there was a lot of learning curves, uh, a lot of learning mistakes. But uh, I mean, we we grew to five locations in about from from, hey, I'm going to open a sign shop to like five locations, three in Baton Rouge, one in Lafayette, one in New Orleans. Wow. Within about three or four years. Uh, that's fast. It was fast. That's yeah. like very that's very fast to go from so living room I, I won't to tell five you, locations. I, I won't. I won't tell you who, but I'll tell you my very first sale. Now you got to understand, I didn't know anything about anything at this time. I was, we had, we got out the dining room table, brought in a sign cutter and we were making all signs in the house. And I just would go out on my, my, on my lunch break for an hour and sell signs. And that's how we started. No, like no business, like, like, did you like, what's, well, like what for well, the first was my sign marketing you plan. This was my marketing, find a construction site, okay. find who's building it. Find out who, and then go talk to that person and sell them the signs to that place. Okay. That was it. That's, that's very simple. That's a good way to get started. So uh, I found one and this was, and went out there, stopped, found the right person, sold them $500 worth of signs. I thought I was big time. <laughs> I thought, I, you know how long $500 would keep us in float right now? Right now? Six seconds. Six seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I have to sell five hundred dollars every six seconds of a wow. workday, of a nine, eight or nine hour workday. No, okay, yeah. yeah. So wow. anyway, but anyway, so I sold him this five hundred dollars, and it would. It, I thought it was big time. And um, back in the day, I learned a lot in that one sale. Really? Yeah. So uh, they had this big wood structure outside, and uh, I had never sold anything before in my life. I was an operations guy. I was entirely operations. And you got thrown into sales. I got thrown into sales because I was it. And so it turns out I love sales. Today, I, I wish I could do nothing but sell, but I have to run the company. But if I had my own drivers, I would rather sell all day. <laughs> uh, so I stopped and then I, I sold them all, this five, all these signs. Was, and they had this big wood structure that the construction had built. And I'd put these, these uh, signboard signs, which is wood with plastic laminate over it. And they asked me, what color would you stain that? What color would you paint that sign? I had no clue. But I just looked at him without a he movement loss. I said, well, if it was me, I wouldn't paint it. I'd stain it. They said, that's a great idea. You know, I said, you got the wood, you know, let's bring out the wood, let's stain it. I was just trying not to answer the question with giving it. And so. Yeah. Give, him, give him a blanket response. Yeah, yeah. Saying, they said, yeah, what color should we stain it? I said, cherry. <laughs> First color that came to my head, I had no idea. I just said cherry. I knew that was a stain. So like, I didn't know what color it was. You so, did you even know what like cherry even looked nah, like? I didn't know Nothing. Anything. So the next day, I'm driving back. I stop, and the guy's out there staining the sign. <laughs> With cherry? With cherry. So I have to stop and ask him, what color are you staining? He said, cherry. I looked and said, so that's what cherry looks like. <laughs> and so I learned a lot that day. And then I, we put up the signs on it, and I thought they looked great. I really thought they looked excellent. And then time went by, and you know what? The signs got worse and worse and worse. The reality like, like, is- Like making or after they were hung up? Long after they were hung up. Okay, so they just deteriorated no, over No, the time. signs didn't change at all. <laughs> the sign, I changed. Okay. So within six months, that would have never been acceptable at our, our shop. So the, our quality standards got so much better. My eye had changed. Like right. I could pick things out. I had, I was fundamentally changing so radically, so dramatically that, and a few years later, they cut down the whole wood sign and put a big metal sign up. And I was so happy. But anyway, that was the first, cause I was like, I was not proud of that anymore. First day I was like super proud of it by a year and a half. I was like, nah, yeah. <laughs> let me replace it for you. <laughs> let me replace it for you. I just said, learn. so, so like in the beginning, you know, we always, we built our business from the very beginning on customer service. We would make it right. We stand behind it. We're people you want to deal with. That's who we are fundamentally. We learned how to do great signs. We didn't know that day one. We do now, but 
you have to learn that, but you didn't know. Right. And, and as, as an entrepreneur, when you start a business, you have to get that product out right. to then learn how to better make the product. But I was the opposite of 90% of them. Most entrepreneurs have an idea. I had no idea. I just wanted to run my own business because I thought I could do, arrogantly thought I could do it better. Right or wrong, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. And so I wanted it. So I just picked one that seemed to have, didn't have to move, had relatively business to business, and uh, didn't have to tell our friends. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. pretty much it. And it was normal hours. Normal hours. Normal hours. Normal hours. Okay. So you go from superior signs. Right. At what point did you know either A, it's time to get into a bigger space? Or B, it's time to hire somebody to help me out. I mean, because you're cutting the, the first sign, you cut yourself. Right, cut yourself. And now yourself. you, like, when is it, okay, we're at the point where I need someone else? Gosh. So I should tell you another story first. Go for I don't want to go too long. But so the first rap we ever did, we do raps all the time now. We do actually about which three is, raps a day. Which is huge. Vehicle raps. We yeah, yeah, yeah. Vehicle raps are, are huge. Now, Boat raps, is, vehicle raps is yeah, huge. Like, the installers would not believe that I actually rapped. The vehicle, like the vehicle, they would think I was like crazy. The first one, so they they brought uh, it was a uh, it was a company here in Baton Rouge and still around, and we still do their work today. But um, and I, it was these long stripes, and I worked like all day on this thing, and it looked terrible. So I took it off, and I worked all night and redid the whole thing. And then the next morning, I mean, I worked through the night. And the next morning, they picked it up, and about two hours later, they brought it back. <laughs> And I pulled it off and did it again. Wow. And it's, it's a whole didn't sleep at all. That was the first rap we did. I don't touch raps anymore. Any, anymore. But anyway. So, some people but, that know the raps a little better may do oh, So we, we know. But the point is you have to learn. You have to do it yourself. Then you delegate it. Right. And so we quickly hired someone to do. We moved into college, a place on college uh, not far from the railroad tracks. It was about 1,500 square feet. And we hired uh, two, three people, and then we bought, rented the back. Then uh, we expanded into uh, a place on Industrial Plex and a place on Jor, and then New Orleans, and then Lafayette was kind of the history. So you hire someone when you can afford it. When so, I had a very limited budget. I had a wife and a kid to feed, and right. Uh, yeah, make sure that, 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 that the house stayed over their head. Uh, yeah. And so when the revenue was coming in where I was safe, they would. But uh, anyway, but things aren't like, for me, what I find enjoyable is building systems, building things that work, building things that go. But there is no substitute for doing it yourself in the beginning, learning, failing, right. fixing. It, it's, you, you, when, and when you learn it, you know how to better hire. Because yeah, you know, yeah. if you know the process, you can interview and sit down with somebody gotcha. and you can tell from the second they start talking about the process, whether they know it or they don't know it. Correct. Because you know it, you know, you, know. you got to know it. And that's what, you know, I did with, with the show. I started it out and it was just me. It was my phone. Right. And then we upgraded to some microphones. Then we upgraded to well, a now camera. You a and now I've got a whole team, you know, right. now I've got a whole, we bring Flashbang in as a production crew and they do everything from us from top down. But had I not done it myself, Cody could have just told me some shenanigans and I'd be like, yeah, sure. Let's <laughs> sure, do it. Let's right. do it. But it's the fact that you know it when you know the process, you know what so, the outcome is supposed to look so, like, then you can delegate. So like for a said. long time, I could do every job in the shop. Somebody asked me that just the other day and I looked at him and said, nah, <laughs> not even close. Cause you just, you get, you just outgrow the point to where you can. Right. So, there, there, there comes a point where you can no longer do everything. You can't even know everything. Yeah. You can't yeah, know, you can't know, you know it everything. all. Right. So we do three thousand. We do about thirty five hundred different jobs a month, wow. just in Baton Rouge, and then another thousand in New Orleans. So, like, at, somebody will ask you, "Did you make that sign?" I don't know. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I, I would. I would have loved to have made that sign. I, I, I could. Like some, I know. Some, I don't. And a lot of them, I just like. You you really have to learn to, but every time you double in structure, so the. You, every time you double, you need a totally new structure from, from one to two people, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16. Uh, but that first person is the most critical. Right. Because they're typically going to be with you through some rough times. And you need to hire for your weaknesses. Yes. Whatever you're weak at, focus on that. Hire somebody who's good at that. 
Yeah, and part of an entrepreneur is being willing to accept yeah. you have weaknesses. <laughs> and you do. I do. Yeah. You do. Everyone Abs- does. 100%. Yeah. You know, and I can I can tell you right off the bat, several of the weaknesses that I have. <laughs> I've I, already I, told I, you, Sean, I'm not, I'm, not ra- <laughs> I'm not a good rapper. And uh, they, uh, I'm a good thinker, mm-hmm. but I'm not that great with my hands. <laughs> And I'm in a hands-on business. Right, right. So you got to find the people who are good with their hands right. to then live out and execute on your right. thoughts and your processes. Absolutely. Exactly. So then going from Superior Signs, you then went to your next business, which was? So then my brother, well, actually, my brother came in about two or three years into it and bought half the Superior Signs. We ran together. And then we wrote a software to run the sign shop. And that's a kind of, it's like, quite serious. Like a management software? A management, yes. Okay. So we wrote Sirius, but we didn't, at the time it wasn't called Sirius. That's C-Y-R-I-O-U-S. It's a play off our last name, St. Cyr. Oh. Okay. And so we wrote it for us. And then my brother says, I want to take this to market. And dumb me just said, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> and so we drove up to a <clears throat> trade show and sold a bunch of copies. And that was the birth of, of, Serious software. And now every franchise in America, most of them, Fast Sign, Signorama, uh, Signs Now, most of them use Sirius. Uh, my brother, he sold the company about two years ago. He had 60, 70 employees. So we split a few years later and he took Sirius and I went back into Vivid and started Vivid uh, very amicably. Yeah. Uh, but just it, I just like one of them, like the tech software. Yeah, side. he liked the. You like working with your hands. <laughs> I, yeah, I like I like the structure. You can see he liked the software, right. and so uh, and we still use it. It's still our main point. But I have no no equity or ownership or interest or anything. I'm just a customer now. Right. Uh, so that we did for. So I actually got out of the sign business, sold software for a year. My brother and I were partners, and then got back into this and started Vivid. So you think that time in the in the software industry made you realize just how much you like the sign industry? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I learned that I like this. I like the physical better than this intellectual, the intellectual. I right, like the, the software packages. And I like the local better than national. So Sirius sells nationally. Doesn't sell local. It sells to print shops and sign shops. I like the local side, even though today over half my work is outside Louisiana. About half my work is outside Louisiana. Wow. Yeah, we're about 50-50. Half 50% in greater Baton Rouge and 50% outside Louisiana. That's incredible. But uh, so we got, so we started Vivid and uh, basically started with a little different angle. We started as a digital print shop. Yeah, I was going to say, what was the the, uh, the second take, if you will, going back into the business? So the first one was more mechanical, more typical signs. And we still do signs, but they were done a different way. This is more printing. Uh, we're, We're basically a big, production print shop that can print anything, including signage, tables, you name it, I can print on it. Wow. Yeah. And so that was kind of the the avenue you wanted to go with after going with Superior Signs. It was you wanted to be that right. print so, all shop. So we did Superior. Well, I didn't have that much wisdom back then. I wanted to go. Digital was new, was much newer. Uh, and we wanted to go into digital because it was changing ra- radically. And that's where the biggest management could the be, better management could make the biggest impact and then what we did have a simple vision start there and own the customer and then from there grow into all, everything else the customer does so our customer primary is marketers or advertisers or marketers so a lot of graphic does ad agencies but even more than ad agencies it's the marketing for a company whether it's LaBerge or Ashner or whoever the marketing agency inside them, inside the company is our primary customer. And we want to do everything that that person orders, gets. So that's kind of, we expanded into all different areas. So from you there. expand them to the customer's needs. Correct. And how do you know, how can you kind of look at that when working with a customer and know, can you fit that bill right off the back? Because if you're selling one product initially, right. how do you know to look out for those other keywords that customers throwing out and then have the risk to take it on? Well, uh, you, you listen, <laughs> you listen a lot and th- they'll tell you, they'll ask because if they like working with you, they say, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And some you'll sub out and then as you build it up, you'll do. And some you just start in. 
And there's occasion you have to say, no, I'm sorry. I really, one day I will be able to, but today I can't. Wow. So for like, we still don't do electric signs, neon signs. So if you ask me, I don't even sub it. I won't sub it because it's, there's nobody good that does it. So I'll just say, no, nah, we really so like, can help you. Like, like a neon sign. Um, that's a, that's a, actually an LED sign. But yeah. a neon. Like those there, you would just yeah. buy off the shelf. So, <clears throat> but if you wanted a neon custom letters, we would, right. we would just pass on that. Okay. And so that's yeah. kind of the that's knowing the, your boundaries. Yeah. And the, that and the big box electric signs are about the only things we don't do today. Okay. Is there space in the future to no. do them? Or just no. one of those? It's like the, the digital So in space. the Spirit of Signs Day, we learned that that's a different business and that it's not relationship oriented. Our businesses have to be relationship oriented. We care more about the relationship than anything else than this order, this profit, this whatever. That is more transactional and it's a one and done because they're, well, if you take Uncle Earl's because we're here, if they get a big electric sign, the, they realize that they're gonna buy that one and that's all the big electric signs are gonna buy. And they don't really care if what they tell you Uncle Earl's was true. And so they'll tell a lot of things that aren't true to get the sale and it's not something that we wanna play, not an area that we wanna play in. Right. You'd rather find that, that lifelong customer. We want repeat business. <clears throat> repeat Everything business we do is geared to towards repeat business. Yep. Yeah. And so how do you kind of train a team to go in with that mindset of it's not about closing the sale. It's about making a friendship or it's about making a relationship. It's, it's about being a resource, letting them know that you're being a resource. So the key is knowing, honestly, out of 100 people, 92 won't buy what we sell. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's you, the, the, the sales truth. You're going to yeah, call 100 so, people and maybe close eight or 10. Yeah. So you got to be real targeted. You got to know who you're trying to reach. And then you've got to figure out, uh, figure out a way to reach them. And I try to teach life selling. And I'll give you another story about that if that's okay. Yeah. Go ahead. So we do something called direct primary care. It's a real innovative medical thing. I don't want to get into it for all their employees where they have access to a doctor. So they can go to a, a doctor paid by the company for no charge. They don't, they not, never talk about money, anything. And it's a great system. It's a great benefit. And a lot of other companies call me because we were the first in Baton Rouge to do it. And so the, I'm talking to these owners of 100 to 200 man companies. Uh, and they'll ask me all these questions and I'll take 20 minutes out of my day and talk to them. And I'll ask every one of their questions. And then they'll say, is there something I can do for you? And I'll say, well, you know, there is. Would you have your marketing person? Who's your marketing person? I would ask. And they would tell me, I said, would you have them come take a tour? And you know, and you know what? Within a half hour, they'll be on, calling me for to schedule a tour. <laughs> I promise because their boss's boss or their boss went to and say, hey, I, you really got to go see this guy. And then we'll give them a full tour. And then we'll get that person. Now, all, right. all I did was when someone asked, is there anything you can do for you? Yes. But if I would have called Joe Smith or Sally Blue or whatever her name was and say, hey, I'd like you to come by and see what we do, the probability of them coming by is one in a hundred. Yeah. But under this scenario, the probability, and I have, all I did was be nice. <laughs> so I have to teach. You have to target certain people and then you have to reach them and let them know of the services we provide. Yeah. It's and that then, give and then ask mentality. Right. But you got to understand this is so critical. Everything we do is custom. And that means it's difficult. And that means it's going to be problems. And all our competitors are custom. So we're going to have problems and they're going to have problems. That's just the nature of the business. So the most important thing is, is when someone reaches out to you, it's usually because they're having problems somewhere else. How do you deal with that? And how do you deal with the problems that you have that you didn't create? So... If the customer, if it came out, the customer thinks it's too pink, but it's the exact color that it's supposed to be, how do you deal with that? So that's kind of, the, that's what you have to teach to retain the customers and then also go get other ones. Because if they're happy with them, it's very difficult. But the good thing and bad thing is customers in our world are often very unhappy or I don't want to say very, but it, if, if you do enough, so let's, let me give you real numbers. Okay, our air, the error rate in the industry is about four and a half to five percent. Okay, that's an incredibly high number. That means every hundred jobs, four and a half to five aren't right, or the customer's not satisfied with. It. Ours is about one and a half percent. 
Wow. So that's great, but it's also, we do 3,600 jobs a month. That is what, 300 a day? So that's four to five customers aren't happy with me every single day. Wow. (laughs) So I have to deal with that, I have to teach my people. The most important thing you do is deal with the people that that aren't 100% happy. Right. And the best way to go get other customers is when they call you because someone else is unhappy or to refer it's referrals. So that's what we teach. And we have uh, six local teams, six national teams at work out of Baton Rouge, three that focuses on apparel and shirts and hats and uh, koozies and then four in New Orleans. So each team is usually two people. Okay. So a full team to run different areas of the business. Well, different clients. Yeah. There are different clients. clients yeah. Okay. Or, or different areas. That's right. So you started out with, with the signs and moved into this Vivid Ink signs thing. But yeah. you do graphics. S- yeah. Graphics. And but you do so much more than that. Today. Today. Yeah. And so but within that requires space. Right. So y'all have just ex- slowly expanded in the area that y'all are at with y'all's we have, footprint. Yeah. About 80 something thousand square feet between in the two buildings in Baton Rouge on, uh, on airline of Florida and 18,000 to about 20,000 in New Orleans that we op- that we op- operate out of. And what is that like managing all that space? I mean, that's a lot of, of land to worry about. Yeah. Well, thankfully, thankfully now I have a full-time facil- facilities guy and he pretty much takes care of all the his whole job is just managing the facilities. And you would think it wouldn't be needed, but it's definitely needed from, so right now one of them, it's a big project, one of them getting re-roofed, there's always something. And mm-hmm. so his, it, he's really good at it. His name's Lynn and his job is to manage facilities, the facilities. Wow, that's, and that's, again, like you said, find the weakness and then find the weakness. weakness. Yeah. And so like, like we, one of my weaknesses is, it is, um, I'm not as detailed. I'm a globalist. I'm a visionary. Okay. So I hired a very, very detailed person to work with me. Just hundred percent with me. <laughs> Help me. You, you, you come around with me and you look at everything I'm <laughs> yeah. doing to make sure the details are right. Make sure I, all, I didn't miss anything. Yeah. 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 So, um, beforehand we were talking, you said that something you're, you're kind of, you're really good at is like knowing when to hire and when to fire. Yeah. Yeah. So what is that like? I mean, when you're looking to hire somebody, what do you look in? for somebody when you're going out for a job? So, um, well, first we look, the very first question we have to answer is, are they right for the team? And so Vivid has five values, every five company values, every employee can recite them. I know cause I make them and I <laughs> hammer on them. The, uh, serve the customer and each other, work hard, do the right thing, get better and bigger. Better has to come before bigger cause it's more important and have fun. So the first question I'm trying to answer is, do they fit those values? Just generally. And the second question is, are they right for that individual job? So they might be right for Vivid, that's great, that's the first weeder, then are they right for that job? What I mean by that is, if you're hiring a graphic designer, they have to be the right Vivid values, but also have the right graphic designer. So someone that's highly expressive, meaning they like to talk a lot, and highly energetic, meaning have lots of energy like myself, would not make a good graphic designer. Because I need them sitting designing all day and getting joy and pleasure out of designing. And they literally have to talk because that's who they are. Right. And they have high energy, so they like me, so they have to get up and walk around all the time. Well, I need somebody with low energy, but very creative. And so that's kind of what, so we have a whole system of, of, for hiring and then also for firing. But firing, the hardest thing to do is just when you know, you know, when you know you're better off without them, you, it's time. You waited too long. Yeah. Yeah. Which is one of the, the things in a smaller business, like for an entrepreneur just getting started, going through and knowing when do I hire somebody or when, more importantly, to fire somebody. Because sometimes you get your friends to work with you. Yeah. And having that conversation with not a friend a to fire is, is tough. So, or, or family. Family, or, or family <laughs> is family can be so harder. much harder. So, you know, I have 12, I have 11 siblings. I have three of my own kids. They're all grown. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, I've, uh, when you have 12 siblings, you have one that's wayward. <laughs> I, I hired and fired him twice. 
Wow. <laughs> so, you know, it, it happens. It, it happens. Yeah. yeah. And then you but have to navigate that landscape. You have to navigate the landscape. Your, your family got to see you at, you know, dinner next weekend. Yeah, yeah. So there's a rule. It's a very good one. Never hire someone you can't fire. Uh, and so, but you'll break it. <laughs> you'll break the rule. You'll break the rule. Yeah. I, I never know an entrepreneur that's grown that hasn't. Broken the initial the rule that yeah, never the, hired the, the initial rules. Well, I mean, yeah. that's as an entrepreneur, you have this vision in your head. You want to see it come to life. Right. But understand this as an entrepreneur, most of the times the problems are within you first. The weaknesses are within <clears throat> you. But that's not even entrepreneur. That's any that's any person or organization. They're going to mimic the leader. So where the leader is weak, the organization will be weak. And so as the entrepreneur, you have to work doubly hard to, to overcome that. So like if you're not organized, try to work on work on that, but hire people that are super organized. Right. To kind of maybe help you yes. out in a way to become more organized. Or just to pick up the slack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, I mean, as an entrepreneur, figuring out your weaknesses and then hiring somebody for that can be, you know, a never ending task because right. there's always something with the business growing. There's always something you're trying to do so and hire for. I was blessed that I was kind of a jack of many trades, but a master of none. So I have a master's in finance, I have full understanding of accounting. So I can kind of oversee, I understand like the books. Uh, I've always worked in operations, so I understand operations, but naturally my charisma is all for sales. If I could do anything, I'd sell. And so like, I try to hire salespeople that are better than me. I try to hire controllers that are better than me. I try to hire operations that are better than me, but I can understand and talk to all of them. Right. And you so can make sure that whatever's happening, you're on, you're on the same page right. with. Right. So you said beforehand that you wanted to get into the sign business because you thought you could do it better. Correct. Well, I wanted to go into business. You wanted, wanted to go into business because you could do it better. Yeah. So at what point when you're working for somebody, do you start having the conversations with your family or even yourself of, Maybe I want to leave. So for me, I had a lot of time in Saudi because <laughs> I was in the <laughs> desert, you know, with with working 12 hours a day with six hours worth of work to do <laughs> in the army. So I don't know how to explain it. And so I had a lot of like idle time. With, and this was pre all the cell phones and everything and pre all the Internet. And so I had a lot of a lot of time. So I said, OK, when I came back, I had pretty much decided that I was going to work. I wasn't going to work for someone else. It was interesting. The guy that I worked for, an entrepreneur, he had about 50 employees. And um, I didn't, it wasn't until I started running my own business that I understood a lot of things that he did. Like a lot of things didn't make any sense to me. And some of them still didn't make any sense, but at least I could understand them when I could sit on the, on the other side. Yeah. The, I couldn't really understand them when I was, as a young kid working for him. Right. And even as an entrepreneur working for somebody, if you've had your own business before, you've run anything, you kind of start looking at the problems differently. Yeah. You don't look at them as just an employee. You don't look at them as someone who's going to clock in at nine and leave at five. You kind of start to look at that bigger picture and start saying, how does this affect the company as a whole and where can I help? Right. Yeah. And the, the biggest thing you have to learn, at least for me, is not to tell people what to do. You can, and they'll probably do it, but it's much, much better if they figure it out for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and so how do you get them to see it for themselves? Yeah. And that's like how to take ownership in it. Because you, you, what you really want them to change their behavior. And to do that, they got to take ownership in it. Right. And they've got to feel like they've got some ownership in it. Right. And it's not once it's done, you're going to say, great, thanks so much. And then you go and just right. push it as you, our product's great. Do you, do you really want them to, to work on your great ideas or you want them to work on their own great ideas? Well, on your great ideas, they leave at five. On their great ideas, they're all in. Yeah. And they're working as long <laughs> as, as they, they want. There's, no, as there's want. no longer a nine so to five. So that's the real key that it took me years, years to learn. Like, you may know the answer. You may want to tell them, you really got to shut up. The more, <laughs> that's kind of, as an entrepreneur, I want to say, you think you want to tell everybody? Nah. That's not, the really, the great leaders really like ask questions, mm -hmm. give advice, say, sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. What are your what are your problems you're facing today yeah. with getting to your goal? What are you gonna do about it? Yeah. So they come with a problem, dump it on your desk. What are you gonna do about it? And then resist every urge to tell them what to do. <laughs> that's what I, that's, I mean. Maybe I'm just dealing with thinking that more and more lately. But. 
Yeah, but I mean, it gets you, you push people beyond what they think they're capable right. of. I mean, they may think they could only do something if instructed and guided down this path. But teach them to be leaders themselves. Yeah. Instead and of just a follower. You want leaders themselves. 100%. And that starts with giving them an end goal, but not a roadmap. Yeah. Right? Saying, hey, this is where we want to be. This is where you want to be. And figure out how to get us there. Get us there. Right. Which, as an entrepreneur or as an intrapreneur, somebody who's got an entrepreneurial mindset but works for a company, that to them should be like, hire me right now. Like yeah. I'm in, I'm all on board to have that autonomy. It's as actually an employee. very rare for companies that have that mindset. Yeah. I'm trying and, and, uh, working on it. Production is actually harder than intellectual. We're a production company. So we make things. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to, you know, be, give that freedom more free. Yeah. They give that more freedom, but you've got those, those certain jobs that allow, that freedom. Yep. They allow those individuals, those employees to sit back, look at the bigger picture and say, okay, they asked me to do this. This is how I was trained to do it. But if we tweak it, we can probably make this a little bit more efficient or we can make this process a little better or we, I can add my own personal touch to it. Yeah, I mean, because exactly. I know there's so many people that are motivated and driven by having that self-accomplishment of being able to go home at night and say, wow, I really solved the problem today. And it was all on my own. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but then you have some that say, just give me a rule book, give me a guidebook and I'll follow it. Yeah. And then that's when different avenues light up for those people. Exactly. So how do you go about managing all of those different mindsets and all those different people within an organization as the leader? Well, managing the people is the hardest part by far. And so it is easier to manage in a dictatorial situation where you just tell people and then you just accept no pushback, no feedback, no discussion. But when you're trying to find the best answer, get buy-in, it's actually much, much harder. And then then there's the natural conflict. Like you'll have people not happy with each other or arguing over there or arguing over here. And when do you step in? You step in when there's not going to resolve it on themselves. And that happens. And you have yeah. to step in and you have to like bring them back, bring me. Uh, but the, for me, I spend more and more of my time working on the team nowadays than I do solving problems and working on the team is pretty much and kind of just keeping an eye on everything. It's probably the three things I do. Yeah. Making sure that there's no one stuck butting heads yeah and they can have that conflict and resolution that everyone's going on the past. same page right everyone's going down the same river like working together rowing together yeah and so what are some of the kind of attributes you put behind your company as to what's made you all so successful today first and for- foremost uh you call it a lot of different ways we call it customer service it's really humility putting the other people before yourself so like you know, I told you there's a lot of problems. There's in our industry, there's, there's challenges, there's jobs. You know, we have about a one and a half percent rejection rate. Uh, and so our rules are really, are really simple. We want to be fair. So like real example, like real life example, we'll send you a proof. We'll print it just like the proof. <clears throat> and then you don't like it. And we'll pull out the proof and say, here's the proof. Here's the sign. How is it different? What would you like me to do? Yeah. That's the question. How is it different? And we listen. What would you like me to do? And then we do it. And that's a hard thing to do because sometimes it's like, yeah. And some people accept responsibility, you know, like, yeah, like, yeah, it's exactly what I asked for. It's exactly what I ordered. And some people won't. But we took this strategy from the belief and it's, it may not be whatever, but we'd rather be screwed than screw someone. Wow. And so that's a statement. That's a statement. That's just it. So yeah. it's like we will never like in the end, we will do pretty much do. And over the 21 years, I've only had to tell one person that, no, we're, we're not the right shop for you. Please go somewhere else. Yeah. There's, there's always that one customer every yeah, now and a blue, every once in a blue moon gonna, that they're yeah, just not coming. Say, no, we're not the right person. We're not the right team for you. Please go somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but, um, and so that's kind of the customer service, though. Like, we have a rep- reputation that if it's wrong, we'll make it right. We'll make things wrong, we'll f- but occasionally, much less than most in the same industry. Right. 
but when it does happen and it will happen, we'll make it, we'll make it right. When it's being able to recognize when there is a mess up and accepting it, right. and owning it, and know, owning it, that's a big part of any business, regardless of what profession you're in. Is being able to realize, hey, I made a mistake. You're yeah. 100 right. You know, the customer is always right, quote yeah. unquote. But sometimes they're not always right. They're not always right, but they're always the customer. Exactly. So they always deserve your respect, and. Um, and like, they, they are a reason we have a job and what we do, what we do. And yeah, that we have to keep that foremost. And, and like you said, when you print out the both and you say, "Hey, here's what you, here's what you, the proof, here's what you printed, right. the Pantone is the same." Yeah, this, this, what's the difference? Right. Yeah. And and again, how can we solve it? How can we solve it? You know, and I think that kind of so more issues like so some uh, uh, an agency or an in-house firm will send you a trifle a brochure with a typo. <clears throat> It's 100%, you know, we didn't design it. We didn't proof it. They sent us the artwork ready to go, and there's a, tri a trifo. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a real common, you know, spelling error. Like, yeah. what do you do? Well, if we catch it beforehand, we call you and tell you. But after it's printed. You can't do anything. Right. Or so, you, you can. You got to reprint it all. It's going right. to cost some time and money. Yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of one of the issues we have to face. Yeah, which. And we have to creates... train people. We have to look for people that can deal with problems that they didn't create. Yeah. And often take responsibility for things they didn't do. So like if you're the salesman and my production guy screwed up or my designer screwed up, I don't want you saying, hey, he screwed up. I just want you taking responsibility for it. And solving it. And solving it. And solving it. First, second response, second solve. That's yeah. right. It's, it's exactly. don't pass the buck to the don't production guy. Don't pass the buck. Don't pass the buck to this guy. If That's you're the salesperson, you're the last line of defense, defense. to that you're customer. You're the face. The customer's not going talking with the guy who printed it. Right. They're not going talking with the people who sat back there and hand cut everything. They're talking yeah. to you who sold them the product. Yeah. And if you didn't take the time to do a once over of everything, you know, I deal with it within my own industry. If people are sending me financials or banks are sending me information, I go through and I read, make sure everything's right, you know? Right. And it's, again, it's not my responsibility, but at the end of the day, I'm taking this document or this, whatever it may be, I'm bringing it to my client, my customer, and they're seeing it from me. So the, lately, the biggest problem we keep dealing with is basically FedEx, or, but UPS would be the same. So you ship something for an event that's Thursday that's supposed to arrive Wednesday, and it doesn't arrive till Friday and the event's over. Yeah. And they're like furious. It's like, I shipped it, to arrive to a day early, <laughs> you ordered it Monday. We took one day. We made it in. We rushed it through. We overnighted it for Wednesday. What do you do? Yeah, like very, very common. Like not very, very, common, but more common today than it's ever been because FedEx has so much shipping. It's overloaded. And so, have you taken that and kind of thought about doing more and more deliveries on your own to kind of mitigate that risk? Uh, we do have a full time delivery driver, but like I said, half my stuff is out of state. That has to be shipped. <laughs> it's more cost efficient to ship yeah. it. I mean, we're talking <clears throat> Minnesota to Washington to oh, Seattle, yeah. all over the country, you know. So those, we do a lot of restaurant chains and they're all over everywhere. Like we were talking about Canes earlier. We do all of Canes work and there's 500 of them across the country. So Yeah, it's or, and you got to get them there when they want them. Right. Or Muyas is 100 or Callister's 450. It's just, we do about 15 to 20 different restaurant chains. Yeah, and working with those chains, those big companies, kind of more strongly solidifies customer service. Yes. <laughs> and making sure that if you get a, an account and they say, hey, do it for one one shop because you're a local, and then you do it right and you go above and beyond, then say, okay, great. Now we got 500 stores. Yeah. Roll yeah. it out. So our most we understand that the most important person and most important thing is making that marketing person look good. That's our job. Make the marketing person look good. Yeah. That's our they, they, when they can go back to their superior and say, hey, look, this is the task you gave me. Yeah. This is the company I went with. This yeah. is the end product. Here's the printout. I've looked at the Pantones. They match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Steve, as we kind of get towards the end of the show, we start to wind down. We have a set list of questions. That OK, we ask everybody. go for it. So the first one is what are three lessons that you've gathered along your journey of 20 some odd years doing working for yourself as an entrepreneur? Uh Keep a balance, you know, um, it, 40 hours a week is not realistic, but you know, you got to make sure I take at least one trip, nice trip with just the family. Well, now my kids are grown, so I go with other folks, but you know, I take a trip, a big trip every year. So I'm gone for 
seven, seven to nine days every year. I have done that for years. So keep a balance, you know, coach the basketball, kids basketball, put in the hours, do the work, but don't, don't be one-sided. Right. You know, be there for the important events. Make sure you're there. That would probably be first, the first and foremost. The second is be humble and be appreciative of the people that work for you. And, uh, you know, we, we really take care of our folks. Like we have a morale, vivid life committee. They have a budget. We do, we just care about them. A lot of appreciation. Uh, like I said, like talking about the doctor, yeah. like you, you know, it's important to us that whether you, you and your kids can see a doctor, you can, that you don't have to worry about, you know, being able to afford it. Everyone in the organization. Uh, so take care of your folks. What, and was it, you just wanted three? Yeah, two? three. That was two. <clears throat> and the third is uh, try to have fun. You know, that's our fifth value. It, <laughs> it does. It is last. It is after the other four. But, uh, you know, life is short. Enjoy it. Have fun. What you do? Yeah. You don't want to be miserable for your entire life. Don't want to be miserable. And you set the tone. If you're not having fun, the people around under you are not going to have fun. They're not going to have fun. Yeah. You got to, you got to, you got to be fun. It it goes to that, that tone at the top trickles down. Right. Even to the person who's sweeping the floors. And you can, you can be a strict and still have fun. Yeah. You you can do it. You can maintain that one to one and a half percent error rate and still have a lot of fun abiding by all these rules. And that's balance. I feel is a, is a, topic in an area that more now than ever with social media and people being able to get instant access to big business owners, their push is to always work the 70, 80, 90 hour weeks, work as much as you can, work as hard as you can, grind it all out. And then you'll have something later on in in life. But I'm with you on that balance. You You have to find a a medium, right? Working 70, 80 hours and then you have a family. It's, it's almost impossible. It's almost, you know, it, it can be done. People can do it. But having that balance, it's not wise. It's not wise. You it's burn out wise. so much quicker. You burn out so much quicker. And, but having that balance of knowing your limit, right? So I know I'm good 45 to 50 hours a week. And so I, I wish I could keep the 40. <clears throat> I can't. I, I don't. I keep it 45. But over 50, I start to get burned out. Yeah. And so you like, start to get burned out and, you know, the people at home are like, okay, yeah. we're used to those 45 hours, then <laughs> yeah. you're back here. Yeah. So I, I, I work a good nine, nine and a half hours a day, and then a few hours on the weekend. Yeah. And just maintaining that balance consistently will make you live longer because you're not as crazy and right. getting burned out, but also make you have a happier life in, in general. Yeah. So what is one thing you did as a kid you wish you still could do today? Oh, there's so many things. <laughs> uh, one thing I did as a kid. Yeah. What you do as a kid, you loved, and you wish you could still do today. I used to do professional juggling shows. Wait, no wait, wait. Professional that. juggling shows. Yeah, yeah. So okay. when, I, when we... when I, I think they just found the cover photo. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know why I said that. It just came to my mind because it probably wasn't. But uh, so we had this show called The Juggling Drummer. And okay. I, I was supposed to, you know, in high school, I, sat, I was supposed to go get a work and like work at McDonald's or whatever. It didn't seem like fun or whatever. And uh, so I taught myself to show, to do juggling show, to juggle. And, uh, and a, ki- a friend of mine who was, uh, he was more, the, he was just a funny dude. I'm not a fun- naturally funny dude. He was, and he was a drummer. He couldn't really play the drums at all. But we did like, <laughs> and we ended up doing, we did first started with the talent show at Slido High, which has like 2,100 students. So I was a freshman and juggling of over 2,000 in front of 2,000 students. One of talk about a nerve wracking experience. Wow. And then I started doing birthday parties and I did that throughout <laughs> high school. And it was like, you know, half hour work. And this was, this was the early eighties. I was making like 25 bucks, 50 bucks, you know, that's like for 50 bucks work, for yeah. a half hour work. And that was like big time. And, <laughs> like, and that was like compared to 375 minimum wage or whatever. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I used to, I really enjoyed it with the kids and stuff. I don't know why I said that. There's so many things. That was the first one that came to my head. I so you want to do, do you want to go back to juggling? I used to do juggling. So once, most of like this is probably 10 years ago. Most of the employees had no clue. And we had this big, big Christmas party. And uh so I did a juggle. I just freaked them out. Cause it was like so sta- I did this full juggling show for 30, 45 minutes for oh the gosh. entertainment. And it was just so out of context, out of character. Like, 
They're like, who is this guy? Is he our boss? Yeah, it was like, it was just a shock just because nobody knew, no one, because at that time, no one knew I could juggle whatever, but I haven't juggled in 10 years, 15, 20 years probably, but I can still pick it up. You can still pick it up and do a show. I still have a shirt that says a juggler on it. Anyway. (laughs) Okay. um, So I wish I could still, I wish I still do birthday parties. You still do birthday parties? No, I don't. Well, I don't people, if you want them for your birthday yeah, parties, right here, it's Steve St. Cyr, Vividian Graphics, CEO and juggler. <laughs> but that's one thing no one knows about me. <clears throat> well, now they do. Now they do. <laughs> so what do you love about Baton Rouge? Uh, I like the, the small town plus city. So I grew up in Slidell. My family's from New Orleans. Uh, when I first came here back in the early, late in the early 80s, I'm sorry, about 83, they had cows on the levee. I thought that was the strangest thing. I never, you know, growing up and going to Metairie and, uh, and New Orleans and Slidell. But I like that it's still small townish, but there's everything you, everything you, you kind of want here. And now we've been here so long, it's, it's home. It's, we love it. Yeah. And that's Baton Rouge is the little big town that everybody calls home. Yeah, that's a, great, that's a, that's a better way of saying it. <laughs> I mean, I know that's, I was born and raised here in Baton Rouge and grew up off Lobdell and moved out to Sunshine. And when I got married, we moved right back into Mid-City in the heart of Baton Rouge. Gotcha. So yeah, I'm all, all about it. And for the final question is what, what can I do to help you? You can send me work. (laughs) (laughs) You can send people who need graphics to me. You can send people who need signs, banners, printing. That's what you can do. I can do that. All right. I can do that. I can start, I'll start pushing the envelope. There you go. <laughs> printing envelopes. Anybody needs envelope printing? We print envelopes. Nailed it. Okay. There you go. I'll, I'll be that warm call for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the I, show. I enjoyed it. Appreciate it. I, I hope really you appreciate it. Telling too many stories and you digested. I love the stories. I love the stories. I love the rabbit holes. I love it all. There's I a love way to put that juggler dives. thing back in the bottle now. <laughs> oh, no. The juggler. The juggler's <laughs> was. out. It's, well, I probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah. You're going to get calls after this. Hey, can you come juggle for our kid's birthday party? <laughs> $25 for a half hour. That's right. That's what we heard. It's a long time ago. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and thank, thank you for everybody you. else, whether you're appreciate listening it. here in person or you're watching us on whatever platform it is. We appreciate you. I know the guests do as well. Um, so I thank you all so very much. And also a big thanks to our sponsors, uh, Alvarez Construction, where they not only build a community, but they build a place for you to raise a family and achieve your dreams. And they're also got the new St. Jude Dream Home coming out this year. Make sure you follow them for that and check out everything they've got going on, as well as our second sponsor, Triton Stone, a female-owned and family-run business that are doing great things in the community. They are building homes left and right. And if you have any questions or any needs for your home building, renovating needs, go check out Triton Stone. And with that, I am Patty G here with Steve St. Cyr of Vividing Graphics. Thank you all so very much, and you all have a good one. Thanks. Thanks.